Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. there's anybody actually testing out there to see if that brass that's coming in on these faucets and plumbing fixtures that are the lower quality import ones if those actually have the amount of lead in them that they say they do because i got a feeling that might be just sliding under the radar i would not be surprised to be honest with you i wouldn't be surprised i mean even think about i don't even know how long ago this was but when they were bringing a bunch of drywall over from china and there was lots of, uh, what was it, hydrogen sulfide being released out of them. And there's lots of had to issues. Tear developments down over that. It's around the house. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know. But we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B. Your source for home improvement every single weekend and during the week. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caroline. Hey, hey. How you doing? Excellent. Well, we've got one of your friends here on the show with us today, Marianne Metzger. She's here to talk about water. We all love it. Welcome to Around the House. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hi, Caroline. Hi. I've got to intro her because she is like the queen of water. I mean, I've been in this business 25 years of home improvement. And if I ever have a question about water treatment or water contamination or what we should be looking for as far as regards of green water and healthy water, she is, I mean, by far the most intelligent person I've ever met. And I say that with complete sincerity. So I'm so excited to have her here with us. Wow. That's quite the intro. <laughs> I, I, really Caroline, I don't that. want green water though. I like mine really clear. <laughs> <laughs> green water is not very good. <laughs> My bad. My bad. <laughs> and he won't fix that in post either. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want that slime. Right? That's, uh, that pond water is not my fave. <laughs> right. No blue green algae, right? <laughs> Definitely not something very appetizing to drink. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Well, it's interesting because, you know, it's I think water is one of those things that it's probably with homeowners that I've dealt with, at least over the years, probably the least tested thing in their home. People just assume when they turn the tap on, it's all good, no matter if it's a well, city water, or anything else. There's just this blind trust that's going on. And being someone that's traveled into third world countries myself, I've never really trusted it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, and I've been in this business probably about 25 years myself. And I see a slow shift towards people who are now starting to like become more aware of, you know, there could be some bad stuff in my water. 
Um, but I would say like 20 years ago, you turned on the spigot and people just trusted what came out of it. So, yeah, I mean, I, and, and in all fairness to everybody out there, I was the kid that uh, grew up in Eastern Washington and we had irrigation water, the water that came through the fields and the open pits and came <laughs> out through a hose and I drank out of the hose and, you know, that probably going to take 10 years off my lifespan nice. or add 10 years, <laughs> who knows? But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think places like Flint, Michigan and other places where people just assumed oh, I'm in the city water, I'll be fine. It's starting to bring right. some awareness. Right. And I mean, lead is such a, a big uh, contaminant out there. And like people don't realize it's not actually coming from the water. It's coming from the home. It's coming from the plumbing materials. Um, and I don't think people realize that. And, you know, Flint, Michigan was just one example of of what's going on across the country. I think if you started looking in, in some of these cities, like even where I'm at, Cleveland and Pittsburgh and some of these older cities, that this is a widespread problem. No question. What are you What are you seeing out there as some of the widespread problems that are out there that are with some of these municipal water companies? Well, I mean, lead is, is obviously a big issue. Um, over the years, I've seen things like uh, disinfection byproducts. Um, you know, those go up very high, especially in the summer months. Um, and, and explain, Marianne, Explain to them, like, what a disinfection byproduct is, because people don't they go, what is that? Like, I have no idea. I don't have anything that gets in my water. So they have no clue. So explain. You know, OK, what that so is I mean, probably the most common disinfectant being used is either chlorine or chloramine out there. And it's sort of like a trade off. Like, I don't want to die today of bacteria, so I'm going to disinfect my water. Um <laughs> But the trade-off is like what happens is that that disinfectant gets in the water and it reacts with other things that are in the water, like naturally occurring organic matter or whatever else is in the water and forms what are called disinfection byproducts. And there are literally like probably 300 plus of them. Um, we regulate a total of, I think it's like eight or nine. So... <laughs> you know, eight or nine disinfection byproducts versus hundreds of them that are out there. Um, and the way that it's sort of regulated too, I mean, they it's uh, based on an annual average. So like in the summertime when it's hot and bacteria is like flourishing, they use a lot more disinfectant. So that means higher disinfection levels in your water. And so like in the winter months, hopefully, you know, it goes down a little bit, but think about parts of the country where it's warm year round. Um, you know, right. they have they have issues with keeping those disinfectant levels down. And so you see a lot of issues with, you know, you'll get high disinfection byproducts. Um, some some places will back off the chlorine enough to where they start getting bacterial growth. Um, so it, it's a real problem. Um, but like I said, it's sort of a trade off like, yeah, I'm not going to die of bacteria infection today, but, <laughs> you know, some of these disinfection well, byproducts are considered carcinogens. So, you know, you could get sick at some point later on. And what's Eric, Eric doesn't have. So I think in Oregon, it's one of the weird places in the whole country that doesn't have it. I don't think they use chlorine or chloramine. Isn't that correct, Eric? Yeah, we use uh, like my water system here. We use uh, ozone dis you know, ozone and sand filters. Oh, really? 
Yeah. Well, o- ozone does also um, provide a disinfection byproduct. <laughs> um, you know, any, any disinfectant will. Um, it's just a matter of what's already in the water and what kind of disinfectant that you're actually adding. So like with ozone and a lot of bottled water companies use ozone because it's it doesn't leave that residual. Um, you form the possible formation of uh, something called bromate, which is considered a carcinogen. But that means that there has to be bromide in the water for the ozone to react and cause that formation. So, Gotcha. Yeah, they do that. And then I'm um, reading through their stuff. I was reading through it earlier because I wanted to see how they treat it. Then they go through a bunch of carbon and uh, sand filters after they, they do the ozone. Right. Yeah, and I, I mean, a lot of these disinfection byproducts are easily removed, too. I think people don't understand, like, a simple carbon filter will remove those. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it's, it's important to have that disinfectant in there to kill any of those dangerous bacteria. But you can also remove it before you drink it. Yes, we need to yeah. do <laughs> We had a huge I mean, problem. I, I'm a big proponent of having some sort of water treatment equipment in your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a problem here south of us probably four years ago where the lake that they were pulling out of the mountains had, I don't know if what, what it got in there, but they had this very toxic algae in it. And so they had yeah. the city of Salem, which is our state capital. They they didn't have water for like two and a half months. Wasn't that And they crypto- were bringing water in there because the city water system was down because was of Was that cryptosporium? Does that sound right? Crypt- cryptosporium? Cryptosporidium. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it's probably that blue green blue green algae or uh, yeah. We, I think it was. Yeah, we had a, a similar instance where I live. I'm out, I'm out in Cleveland, but this happened out in Toledo where they they had to shut down the water system because they're pulling from Lake Erie, and they had huge algae blooms. And basically, what it does is these algaes release these toxins. Um, cyanotoxins into the water and that's what becomes dangerous um, you know it's it's unfortunately a sad fact of like the farming that goes on in the area that contributes to them so you mocked on me Eric and you had green water nah, nah. yeah see well, <laughs> that wasn't my water yep <laughs> oh yeah it says that there were um, cyan toxins in the drinking water that's what yep. it says yep it's, yeah, nice. it's, it's a byproduct of the uh, algae reacting. Yep. So that was the problem. But, yeah, it was crazy. They had, like, the National Guard with water stations for people and that kind of stuff out there. And uh, I'm prepped for that. I've got a really cool, awesome water filter that I can run just about anything through. Um, I do, You know, too. if that happens. Yep, we both do. We both got that level of water filtration. Yeah, what what system do you have? Oh, uh, let's see. I've got it up on the shelf up there. What system is that, Caroline? I forgot now that I brought it up. It's the Pro One. Pro One? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pro it's One? The Pro One, what, yeah. What is it? Like a carbon uh, reverse osmosis type system? I'm, it's kind of like the Berkey system, you know what I mean? It's one of okay. those, so. okay. And we have, I have one of the pitchers, which is so cool. So instead of like, say you had to, you had no water, you could actually go out to the river, pour it in. It takes a while because it has to drip through the system a lot slower than like, you know, you're not throwing water through there, but you can actually have a clean pitcher of water that could come from a lake or stream and it's not contaminated. So if you ever had an emergency and you needed to use it, it's really great. Right. 
yeah, so I've got that. It's kind of a, they call it like a, a, a gravity-fed kind of reverse osmosis style filter is what it is. Okay, yeah. I, I've seen those like in the backpacking magazines and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, like it's mine's a big canister and it has three long cartridges that go up on the inside and mm-hmm. then it has a water tap on the front of it, just like you would a normal, you know, like drinking jug of water that you would have that you'd bring to a sports game or something. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, they're but, cool. They're very cool. And they work. They seem to actually do what they say they're supposed to, which you know, Marianne is <laughs> <laughs> well, and I got this one here probably a couple of years ago because, you know, it, they even say they can take out some uh, radiological contamination out of the water. And I'm like, cool, because I'm just down the river from uh, the Hanford nuclear plant. So it's always good to uh, to have something that can take that out, too, if I can. Right. Right. What's the website, Eric, for that? So she can look it up. In uh, the audience Pro one USA dot com. I just looked it up. Okay. And it used to be called Pro Per, I think was their brand name, and they changed it to yeah. Pro One in the last year or two. But uh, yeah, a good way to go. Well, I had a question, Marianne. I've had a problem here in, in Portland, Oregon, where I live. We've had a few people that were on wells where we had radon coming up through the water. Have you run into that with people with showers and things like that? Yeah, radon radon's a very common contaminant that people kind of don't think about because Radon in your water is not really necessarily a problem. Um, It's more of a problem when you start to breathe it in. And so like if it's in your water and like you you take a hot shower, that radon gas is getting into the air and then you're breathing it in. And so those levels of radon can go high in certain enclosed spaces. So I just think that people need to be aware of radon in general. And if you're testing for it in your home, which I highly recommend that you do, um, that you also test for it in your water, especially if you're on well. Now, municipalities, typically, uh, they're taking care of any radon that might be in the in their water source. So you're typically not going to see that in municipal water. But if you're on well water, definitely recommend doing radon testing. And there's, I think, a couple of maps on the um, EPA's website under the drinking water regulations that show like where ra- where radon is like high in certain areas, like up in New England, there's a lot of radon. Um, certain areas of the country, there's not so much radon. So it's kind of like good to see where you are in the map and what your risk might be. Um, but certainly if you have well water, I would test for radon. Like I do, right? So we do. And we have the Piedmont region, which runs through the Northeast. So that Piedmont region is, it's rock formation basically under the earth that's producing this radiological, you know, odorless, colorless gas that comes up. And and then, of course, like you want to be less than four picocuries in your home. And that number, usually if you test your air, that number will incorporate stuff that's coming out of the shower and coming up through your pipes. And when you turn the gas on, usually that will encompass that. So as long as you're under that four picocurie, you should be okay. But to know it's a source, right, as you turn on that faucet, you could potentially be drawing it up through there. That's important to have a handle on, to know where it's coming from. Exactly. Exactly. So, Marianne, let's back it up a little bit. If you were on a well system, and I know some people, you know, if they've got multiple places, their state or local government will make them test it and do stuff. What do you recommend when it comes for testing so people can be informed what's in their water? What do you recommend with that? Well, I mean, 
it's interesting in terms of like what what they recommend testing for if you have a private well and from state to state and even county to county what they're recommending but if you have a well and you haven't tested it very thoroughly in the past i do a full a full spectrum analysis um I know a lot of people will contact treatment dealers when they see something in the water or they smell something in the water. Like, you know, you'll see the iron in the water. You'll you'll smell the iron in the water. Things like hydrogen sulfide you'll smell in the water. But it's really those things that don't impart any sort of taste or odor or anything like that that are like sort of the dangerous things like lead, for example, arsenic, for example. Those You don't know whether they're there until you test for them. And PFOS, our friend PFOS. Yeah. Eric says PFOS is a rapper. <laughs> I said, yeah, PFOS is going to be my new rapper name. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and PFOS is like, it, it's such a hard thing now because it's in so many consumer products and it's in so much of the water across the country that it's really hard to distinguish like, where it's actually coming from. Tell people um, what PFOS is so they know the actual acronym for it and, uh, you know, not just the acronym, but what it is and where it comes from. Well, I mean, a lot of the PFOS out there, there's, there's like, I want to say over 200 chemicals that fall under this uh, PFOS name, I guess. And it's perfluorinated compounds. A lot of times I'll refer to them as PFCs. Um, basically it comes from things like that are water or grease resistant. So things like Teflon, things like Scotchgard, um, you know, it's in things like, uh, fast food wrappers, pizza boxes, um, you know, microwave popcorn. It's, mm-hmm. you know, your, your raincoat that's, <laughs> that has a, you know, some sort of water resistant spray on it. What you put on your shoes to keep your water, your shoes waterproof. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Um, stuff, I like my bad. PFAS. Yeah, I mean, see, he's eating it right kidding. now. He's eating that darn microwave <laughs> popcorn. I told him to stop. Actually, that's not. Listen. I have my own. We had a we had a birthday party <laughs> last night, so I have the old school oil type movie theater okay. style popcorn maker. So <laughs> that's the healthiest popcorn I'm going to eat in the next six months, probably. But so no PFAS popcorn for you. No P- <laughs> yeah, but my boots, uh, my shoes. Right. Everything else has it on there. My jacket yeah. over there. Everything else is covered. So yeah, I, do, I mean, PFOS it, it, it does make our life easier in certain sit- situations. So, I mean, I can see why it's out there, but you know, it's in such a lot of consumer products. Um, I mean, I w- I just read an article about how it's in all of our cosmetics that we use. So I read that. It too. gets a little scary. We're putting it on our bodies and on our faces. So. You know, it's 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 an interesting water- thing. Yeah. We're waterproofing and siliconing our skin so we don't move. <laughs> <Be funny>. right. <laughs> oh my god! So that's that's interesting. To you know, it's interesting. Um, what are you seeing? You know, of course, the lead, as we talked about earlier, has been such a big thing out there. I mean, we had it here in our public schools a couple of years ago when they started looking around. They started doing in the Portland public schools here testing on the water fountains and realized that they had so many water fountains that had lead in them enough that it was showing up on the tests that they were doing. And so they had to go through, they did water tests on every drinking fountain and all the schools and then went back and replaced the ones that were defective. 
Yeah. And I have like sort of mixed feelings about this because, I mean, they they did that whole Flint, Michigan thing happened and they they went out to all these schools and they said, oh, we got a test. Um, But they were still using like that 15 parts per billion of of lead as their as their sort of level, which is which is the drinking water level under the lead and copper rule. But any amount of lead is considered unsafe. I mean, so you really had to like look at that and like like when it comes to testing for lead, you could even sort of like game the system. I mean, which they kind of talked about in the news when when they um, when this whole thing came out, like, you know, do you let the water sitting in the pipes for eight hours before you sample it? Um, You know, do you let the water run? So there was all kinds of like different discussions about that. and then even like the size of the sample, like when you're testing for lead, you only need a couple milliliters of water. You need a, just a small amount. But under the lead and copper rule, they make you collect a whole liter of water. And the reason behind that was they guess that it takes a whole liter of water before you're going to hit that first solder line where there could potentially be lead. Sheesh. Okay. <laughs> so not only... Let me back up. My question is, is, you know, there's so many faucets out there that have brass in them. And of course, when I buy a brass faucet here in Oregon, uh, since I'm on the West Coast, I got I get the automatic California thing saying this could contain lead, you know, because that's in there. You get it everywhere now. The Northeast. I mean, basically, the the faucet manufacturers have picked up, you know, the California standard and they're basically making everybody else aware of it as well. So we get it here too, and Midwest. Yeah. But I guess my my question is: is how much is that brass in the faucet a leading cause of that? Is that something that that, or is it, or is it just small enough and not affecting the water enough? I mean, is it something the homeowner should be concerned about when they're going out to look at a a faucet? Should they be concerned about the amount of lead that's in that brass, for instance? Typically not. Um, and they and they really did. They changed the regulations. Um, I don't know. What was it? 19 or 2019 or mm-hmm. 2018, where the amount of lead that they that they allowed in something called lead free. Yep. Um, they lowered it. I mean, at, I think at some point it was like, I want to say 17 percent, but don't quote me on that okay. um, and still be considered lead free. So that, that did very change. Free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That did change. And I want to say just fairly recently in the last like five or six years um, to where it is much lower. But really, the big thing is, is if you buy an older home um, yeah. is to make sure that those pipes are like because I mean, I bought a house. The first thing I did was test it for lead. I yep. mean, I, you could actually see pipes that looked like lead. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I did a couple of different tests because, you know, I'm a little a little Me bit too. of a water nerd. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so you wait, you wait the eight hours, you collect the sample, you let it run. So that way you can kind of tell, like, where the lead's coming from, if it's coming from in the house or is it possibly coming from one of the water mains. Um You know, so there's a couple of different ways to test for it and determine where it's coming from. That blows me away that you could have that much lead still and be called lead free in that marketing. That's like, I'm sorry, officer. Yeah, I haven't had a drink. No, but 
Well, I do have a 17% blood alcohol content, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm alcohol free. <laughs> well, and we just... <laughs> We just had Andrew Pace on, our environmental consultant. He's a building expert. And he, we were talking about VOC paint and how they get away with saying zero VOC paint. And it's totally not zero VOC. So it's crazy how right. marketing allows us to do this. It's the same with lead. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And people, they just blindly believe it. I mean, and quite honestly, I'm like, if he says it's lead free, who are you to question whether it's not or not? Yeah, I'd love to do some testing on this because it's always been fascinating to me because I've run into this in many situations. You know, you can go down to the home center and buy the the brand of faucet that's made in USA, and I'm not going to say any specific brands, and you kind of know where that brass came from. Right. But I worry about the $29.99 faucet that came from overseas that you really kind of don't know where that came from. And, you know, we had that happen with flooring recently where they had said, oh, yeah, it's it's 100% formaldehyde-free. It meets, carb, you know, meets the carb regulations. And it was jam-packed full of formaldehyde. I wonder if there's anybody actually testing out there to see if that brass that's coming in on these faucets and plumbing fixtures that are the lower-quality import ones, if those actually have the amount of lead in them that they say they do. Because I got a feeling that might be just sliding under the radar. I would not be surprised, to be honest with you. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, even think about, I don't even know how long ago this was, but when they were bringing a bunch of drywall over from China and there was lots of, uh, what was it, hydrogen sulfide being released out of them. And there's lots of they had to issues. tear developments down over that because it was yep. taking the copper pipes and rusting out and corroding the... Think about that. That drywall was so toxic that the copper pipes that were two inches away were getting corroded out because of the right. chemicals coming out of that drywall. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy because copper is pretty resilient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we use it for our water systems, so you don't really expect that. But, you know, who's who is policing that? I know in the water treatment industry, we have a lot of issues with, like, fake filters coming in the U.S. and being sold on Amazon and things like that. And so, like, there are groups out there looking at that. Um, but I have not really heard anything on the, the faucet end of it. We worked on a project together, Marianne and I. We, we kind of helped out, right? It was a it was sort of a, a sympathy. But one of my clients had bought a, a system that basically was supposed to help her purify her water. And instead, we uncovered that it was putting benzene into the water. And this is a perfect example because the system, who knows where the filters, the plasticizers, any of the, you know, the sealants, any stuff that was in that filter was made. Nobody knew, but we knew, and Marianne and I, through pretty deductive reasoning, figured out that this system was putting benzene in the water and the company didn't want to hear from us. They didn't want to take it off the market. They didn't want to acknowledge it. Right. Right. And I mean, to be honest with you, like their whole their whole system was nothing but like a glorified carbon filter which should technically be removing benzene if it was present in the water to begin with. So I, I just thought it was interesting um, that their response to that whole thing. I would think like if any of my customers came to me and said, the product that I bought from you is not, I found this problem that you wouldn't immediately investigate that because, you know, there could be a bad batch of carbon out there that they could mm -hmm. have gotten into, but 
I would think as a responsible company that you would go out and investigate that and make any corrections necessary, especially to that, that poor woman. Um, mm. I still think about her. I know, me too. spent so much money on that system. And like, I don't even think she has it back from them. No. Nope. Um, Wow, it sounds like legal got involved. The legal team got involved with that before customer service did, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I I don't, they had her, I think the biggest mistake was that she sent the filter to them. We probably should have, yeah, yeah. we should have had her send it to, uh, you know, one of our third-party labs to have them actually test for it. But we tested Um, it. I mean, we tested in the building. We tested the air for benzene. Yeah. Yeah, we did feel the field blank. Remember, we tested everything outside of the water that was coming out of this filter and everywhere else in the house. It was perfectly fine. It was just where right. it was coming out, being dispersed from this actual filter she had purchased. Then it all of a sudden had benzene in the water. I mean, it seems kind of deductive reasoning tells you, hey, <laughs> it's coming from this right. filter. That's crazy. But, you know, you, you make a great point, Marianne. Um, I had to order a filter for my LG fridge. I've got a LG fridge that I bought that has a a nice filter in it. And I jumped on Amazon and I had the part number for the filter and I had to weed through all of these off-brand filters that were automatically suggested up. I had to go look to find the actual LG filter that's coming from LG. Right. And I mean, and that's the one thing that I want people to realize with Amazon, eBay, all these other things. And I realized this because uh, my ex-wife years ago had a company where she was selling auto parts online. And you could have anybody, you, they would put, they would offer up, hey, we'll put the DOT approved sticker on it for you. <laughs> it wasn't DOT approved, but that's, right. it, I mean, it's, you got to think about this stuff. I could turn around and take that filter that I got from LG I could jump on Alibaba. I could ship it overseas. And then, well, not right now. It'd take a year because of the containers coming across. But <laughs> a year later, I would have a pallet of LG water filters sitting out there that they recreated in the same packaging and knocked yeah. it off. So you've got to be really careful what you do out there and buy from a known source because anybody can knock off anything out there. And many times they don't get caught. Yeah. And I mean, it's dangerous for these people, you know, who are they get this like false sense of security, like this filter is is doing something good when in fact it's doing nothing. Or in some cases, like Caroline and I experienced, it's adding worse stuff back into the water. <laughs> so, And we're seeing that, you know, we were talking earlier about plumbing fixtures, the same thing. I can yeah. jump on and I see it a lot because I talked to I have a. A friend, uh, his family's owned a, a specialty plumbing uh, distributor here, you know, retail as well in the Portland area for 140 years. And every week they have people that come in that are trying to get replacement parts for these knockoff branded. They thought they bought it off online and right. it's, a, you know, a major brand. They walk in and they're like, oh, but that's not the major brand piece. They were copied the same kind of way. Every week they have people coming in trying to get parts for stuff. Nope, there goes that fire truck again. There's, <laughs> just like I talked about on cue, uh, every, every week they've got somebody coming in buying parts for, for installed pieces that weren't what they said they were. And of course, who knows what the metal content is inside of that. Right, right. It's scary. 
we're about halfway through. And so we have to talk about our fun topic because Marianne, every time we, every time we bring home improvement experts on, they are not only geniuses at home improvement. That's Eric and I too. But we also have, we happen to all have really crazy hobbies and things that we like to do and are experts at as well as passion. And she has got one of the coolest passions. I think I need to get into this and she needs to get me, teach me a little bit. So I'll let you <laughs> tell everyone or Eric will, will introduce her passion because he's, he's more up on this than I am. You are a knife collector. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, like I was kind of telling you guys a little earlier, it's kind of weird because um, I'm not a hunter. <laughs> I don't like to cook. Um, so why do I have this fascination with knives? And I think it kind of started like, oh, I was out in Colorado one time and a buddy of mine, and we went to this uh, gun show, but I was... I was amazed by all the beautiful knives they had, you know, That's amazing. anything sparkly <laughs> <laughs> nice. caught my eye. And um, so I, that's how I started. And now it's just a little bit of an obsession. Anytime I, I see something that's different, um, you know, my most recent is my Batman knife with the double oh. blade. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know, just just something different. Well, so this past summer, uh, well, whenever the pandemic was and I was at home working for months on end, I had all my knives and I thought, you know, what am I doing? Like I said, I'm not a hunter, I'm not a, a cook, whatever. Um, so I decided to start throwing knives. Oh my and gosh. so She's so awesome. So I started, <laughs> I, I started in the backyard and I am terrible at it. So I would not use a human target whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but I just, I did start uh, learning how to throw and I'm getting better every day. Um, nice. So it's just a fun little hobby, something different to do. Um, so that now I'm, I'm looking at more knives in terms of throwing knives versus hunting knives and, and that sort of thing. And I've even got a couple axes that I'm trying to learn how to throw, which are so different when you're used to throwing a really light knife. So, man, see, I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon. We have a lot of big knife companies out here. Yeah, you know, you we've got, we've got sheesh. Gerber, Kershaw, you know, we've got a lot of the big names out here in those different, you know, Benchmade, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of different uh, really cool knife companies out here. We get spoiled with knives out here. So I like it. CR, uh, CRKT is another one that's good. So we've got a lot of, of course, Leatherman, you know, for yep. the, for that, all those are all Portland companies around here. We've got Coast for the more affordable ones, so we get spoiled. So it sounds like I need to come out there. You got to come out here, yeah. <laughs> get you on a tour. That's and right. Coast likes to come on the show, right? Coast is one of our... Yeah, I like those guys because for knives, because, like, for instance, I've got just a little carry one right here. It's a Coast one. And what I like about it is I, I don't have to take the Kershaw out and ruin it. If I actually break it, mm -hmm. it's an affordable... I, I don't go... Ah, that was a $200 knife. Right. I can go, oh, that was a $25 knife or a $20 knife. And I don't feel so bad about ruining it, destroying it, you know, that kind of stuff. 
What's right. the most expensive knife you have and what's like the cheapest knife you have? Um, I, well, I have tons of cheap knives. Um, let's see, my most expensive, I probably spend, it was maybe like 150 on, um, it's like a carbon blade, but it's the one that I keep right by my bed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, see like so for me for as a person who has no knives but say for safety is there something that you'd recommend for a safety knife like something to have in case someone breaks in? Um I don't know any knife really. I I, I I'm, I'm a little <laughs> bit strange. I also have a um one of those big knives. They're Oh, like a machete? Yes, a machete. That's the word I was looking for. Oh, I have one in my truck. I have a go bag in my truck for in case, you know, yeah. We get caught up. The apocalypse, and, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I live out here in, in Portland. We have a real threat of earthquakes. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I've been, when I was living in Seattle, we had a 6.9. So that was one of those where it got to be a huge issue. So I don't want to get stranded. And we have rivers. So I don't want to get stranded someplace and be on the wrong side of a bridge. Or I can't get back home. So I've always got a little bit of stuff in there just to get me through a day or two for me to get around, you know, and right. if I got to hack through some trees down or stuff like that, it's not like I carry the chainsaw on the truck, but at least I can, you know, if the road's closed because a tree's blown over or something like that, I can actually get out there and hack through and get my way out of someplace I need to get away of. So yeah, that's always been my, my theory of having that in the back of the truck. Yeah, I, I keep mine in my bedroom. <laughs> nice. Well, but, but, you know, it, you know if someone a, breaks in, they're not going to expect you to have a machete. No, but here, I will say, I you know, if somebody breaks into your house, having a knife is not a bad thing, but it is definitely you are in hand to hand combat at that point, which right. is not an optimal situation. It's not, but, you know, they'd have to get through the dog first. See, um. there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's what we've got here. We'd have to, you have to get through a couple dogs first. And yeah. Then... The early warning system, right? Exactly. <laughs> that early warning system's not always the best because at four o'clock in the morning, when your neighbor's coming home, it's the like, false alarms really? are terrible. <laughs> yeah. The false alarms. It's like, can't you guys be trained for the false alarms? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, nope, we pick up everything. <laughs> it would still oh, have absolutely. to throw, it'd still have to throw somebody off if they, you broke into somebody's house and there was a female standing there with a machete. I mean, there still has to be some sort of wow factor. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, yep. holy. <laughs> it's my surprise <laughs> factor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will say, I, I will say an early warning system funny that happened over Halloween here. Um, this was hilarious in my house. So my wife, Julie, bought some of those sound activated hanging like ghosts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be careful with dogs because how this happened is we had this big circular problem. Dog barked. It goes off, scares the dog, dog barks, that goes off. And it was like this, just, they were like, they were having a barking and it was this, you know, screaming hyena thing that was, I, they were, it was just this circular thing where they were screaming at each other. And if we wouldn't have stepped in, I think that would have gone all night long until the battery died on the toy. Because it was like, <laughs> bark, scream, bark, scream, bark, scream. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is never going to stop. It was hilarious. He didn't get it, did he? That, that's what was happening. Nope. Dogs did not figure out the uh, root cause of that. But uh, 
or roof because of that. But hey, <laughs> right. <laughs> So, Mary, let's let's circle back to water quality again. You know, if someone's out buying a house and maybe it's out in the country, maybe it's on a system. Do you recommend they go out and do some testing before they purchase that place? Or what what at what point do you like to see people diving into that process? Um, Ideally, if you start to think about it, I, I think about when I bought my first house and you have to sign a ton of paperwork. And in that paperwork, there's something that says it talks about lead. And you basically either waive your right to test or you sign off that you're going to test. Now, personally, if I was purchasing a house that had well water, I would absolutely 100% test it before I purchased the house. I mean, a house is a huge investment. Um, You want to make sure that the water that you're getting from that home is going to be clean. If it's not, then, you know, some water systems, some water problems can be fixed with like an easy filter, like a carbon filter. You know, most municipal water, carbon filter, maybe a softener might be a good idea, Um, maybe an under the sink RO. But if you're having severe issues, some of those systems can be quite expensive. And so when you're making a purchase such as a home, which is a serious investment, why wouldn't you test the water? And some states do require well testing. So like, for example, in the Northeast, in New Jersey, if you're buying a house with a well, there's a mandatory, the seller has to test the well for you. But, you know, that's not all all states. Uh, Do you know, Marianne, what states don't or do or how many? Um, Actually, New Jersey is the only one that has a state requirement. Um, Yes, New Jersey is the only one who has a state requirement for private wells. Um, New York has a county, Rockland County, New York, has something very similar to the New Jersey Private Well Testing Act. Otherwise, it's up to like um, local townships will have their own requirements. A lot of times, though, only when you're looking at purchasing a house, especially with the well, um, they'll require like just a basic bacteria test which you can easily pass if you dump a bunch of chlorine down the well. Um, (laughs) I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that, that they do. That's it. Everybody has to test. I mean, it's a joke. You need to test. That's it. Yeah. Very little regulation. Mm -hmm. I noticed Marianne too. What what is your theory on hard water? Because, you know, some, there's a lot of different kinds of hard water out there, but I noticed that, that, you know, it really destroys plumbing fixtures and of course all those cool decorative things in your house shower doors toilets and things like that what do you recommend with people that have hard water out there that are really kind of causing issues within their plumbing systems from the hot water heater to the shower yeah i I highly recommend uh doing softening your water if, if you can um Hard water is terrible for any water using appliances. So like dishwashers, washing machines, you're shortening the life and you're actually avoiding warranties on them too. If you read the fine print, Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's specifications in terms of how hard your water can be and on your dishwasher or your washing machine or your hot water tank for that matter. Um, so I think if you're purchasing a home, um, that it's a good idea to test the water, see what's happening with it, and then make the decision whether to soften or not. Um, so there's different. With the softeners, Marianne, 
um, there's also the problem is it can soften the pipe. So there's a downside to it, right? So it can soften your pipes up and also release lead and copper and things like that back into the water as well. Correct. It doesn't necessarily soften the pipes, but like what happens is like hard water, you'll get that buildup in the pipes. So it does sort of form that like protective coating on the inside of pipes. And when you start putting soft water through, it'll start dissolving that mineral down until you get to pipes. Now, depending on what your water quality is or what your water chemistry is, you know, soft water may not have any impact on your plumbing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. it doesn't necessarily, there's not that huge corrosion issue that I guess they probably talked about many years ago. Um, water softeners are much more efficient than they were 10 years ago. Um, yeah. So as long as you're dealing with like a, a, a water treatment professional, and that's the other thing I do recommend if you're looking to treat your water, make sure that you're dealing with somebody who's a certified water treatment professional. So, yeah, one of the questions I have is there's a couple different ways I've seen with filtration out there. There are, of course, your typical, I'm going to throw my salt in the water softener. And then recently I've seen a lot of products where they have a salt less, where they're not using any kind of salt to treat hard water issues. Have you run into a lot of that or what's your theories on that? So they're two very different things. And one of my biggest pet peeves is if they talk about those salt-free softeners, there's really no such thing. It okay. doesn't It doesn't actually soften the water at all. Uh, they like to say it conditions the water. So the theory behind it, and, you know, I'm not 100% on this, is that it changes the structure of the minerals that are in the water so that they don't adhere to the inside of the pipes. Um, So, you know, many years ago, I was working with a company that sold a product like that, and their marketing ploy was to test before and after. And when you tested after, you had the same amount going in. So it wasn't really showing like a reduction of anything other than what like, you know, the carbon filter part of it was taking out. So, you know, obviously that wasn't the way to go for them. And they started just doing a pretest so that they, they, um, you know, uh, size the system appropriately. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't necessarily remove the hardness. It's always going to, it's going to be there. And whether it really protects like your, like your water using appliances, like dishwashers and washing machines, I'm not 100% sold on that. Um, I'm not either. So that's why I was asking the question because I've seen multiple versions of this. Caroline, I had one that tried to come on the show probably six or seven years ago. And it was the one where they were wrapping the wires around the outside of the pipe. Oh, the electro current. Yeah. Yeah. The electro current because they were going to negatively charge the the particles of the water and, and whatever. And I was like. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm. I'm not a scientist on this one, but I'm not buying on this. So I, I actually didn't endorse the product, but it seemed a little weird to me. Yeah, and I mean, some of those products are useful in industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a place for them in this world. I don't think it's residential applications. Gotcha. Um, you know, like a lot of them do require like a constant water flow. Well, you don't get that in residential. No. I mean, so. In, we used to sell those systems and they did work, but you had to have a, a flow rate. It all was based on your right. flow rate. And that's the same thing with UV as well. I mean, we use a lot of UV technology with water treatment, 
but you have to have a constant flow rate and you have to have it sized appropriately to that flow rate. Right. And that, and that, I mean, that's, that goes back to speaking to like, you know, people who are professional and certified so that they do size the equipment appropriately. It's not oversized, you know, where you're using uh, lots of salt and it's inefficient. Yeah. That's one of the mistakes I've seen people do is they buy a house and they don't test it, but they just go down and buy the, buy the system off the shelf at their home center. And they've done no testing, so they don't even know what they're trying to remove. Speaking it's of the crazy. home centers, I think I to- told you about this, Marianne, where they were, I'm not going to say any box name stores, but it was a big box name and they had a water treatment company in there and they were coming out to your house and they were like, I don't know how they were falsifying it, but they were telling the homeowners that they had specific problems by using these, you know, like the the strip testing where you just drop it in the water and you know that those can be inaccurate. And then they were telling people they had bacteria and then they had needed chlorination and all this stuff, which wasn't true. I don't know how they got away with it, but I think we talked about that, right? That that was going on. Yeah. I I mean, now I have like mixed feelings because I know the company that's out there right now doing it and I feel like they do it in a very responsible way. But I don't know how many years ago this was, but I had one of those people come to my home and they did this demo and it's called a precipitation test. And it looks really scary when you see it. And as a homeowner, you know, that, you know, maybe doesn't know what that is. You know, I can see where they might get, you know, scared about having this stuff in their water. Um, But as a person who knew what was going on, I was like, are you kidding me? He was trying to tell me it was lead. And I mean, I was like, well, yeah, it could be lead in this house (laughs) because I did test it. But I mean, he made all kinds of claims about like the health effects based on a precipitation test, not any specific test like that said, this is in fact lead, or this is in fact arsenic, or this is actually bacteria. Um, it was just basically precipitating minerals out of the water and it looks scary and they made all <laughs> kinds of false claims about it. That's <laughs> wild. That is wild. I, I've done I that you, with, she's uh, amazing. With, You're amazing, yeah. Marianne. You just, you are like, she's just, she blows me away every time I talk to her. Cause she's so knowledgeable about water. It's like, there's, you could put up anybody against her and she's just, you're just, <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> yes. that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. So, Marianne, what do you suggest, you know, for people like that? Just start out and test and then just design a system around that with a water quality professional. Is that the best way to just kind of go down that road? Yeah, I mean, I I think the the first step, obviously, is testing the water because – Water is considered the universal solvent. It's going to be different from house to house. Now, if you're on municipal water, you know, you're probably going to be somewhat the same. There could be some differences in terms of disinfectant levels or byproduct levels or or lead because, you know, those things can change. But in general, municipal water, it can be the same. But if you're dealing with well water, your next door neighbor could have completely different water than you do. So testing it and knowing what the problem is is the first step. And then from there, you can talk to a professional water treatment professional to figure out what the best solution is to correct the problem. So I got to ask you a question. What is the worst water you've tested so far? (laughs) Probably something out of Colorado. Um, Really? Out of Colorado. Colorado probably has like some of the worst water in the country. Um, well, is that where all the beer commercials say that the Colorado Spring <laughs> yeah. Water 
<laughs> I, I mean, I can think of a handful of beer commercials that are saying we're using that Colorado <laughs> spring water. Okay. That's good to know. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's all like the anywhere there's mountain formations and there's different geological formations. That's where you can get pick up things like uranium or arsenic or things like that. So that's probably where the worst water comes from in terms of natural water. Um, but I have seen some pretty bad water come out of the state of Texas, especially in areas where hydrofracking was going on. Um, some bad stuff coming out of the state of Pennsylvania. Um, but I would say some of the worst I've seen comes out of the state of Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. So I got a water taste question for you. Like, I, I we're lucky we have great water up here in the Pacific Northwest. But I'll go down for a trade show down in Vegas and drink their water and go, oh, where yeah. is my bottled water? What causes all these taste issues that people see out there? Because... Sometimes it's just nasty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with where the source of the water is. I think in Vegas, what's it coming from? The um, Mead? Colorado is River the- or someplace, Lake Mead Lake or whatever. Mead? Or, yeah. Lake Mead, yeah. yeah. Um, so whatever's going on in that particular area and like, you know, as a drought comes, the water table drops, you're picking up more minerals. Um, levels of disinfection, especially when it's hot down there. I mean, it's hot in Vegas, so they sure. use lots of disinfectant. Yeah, I, I'm one of those people that, you know, when I travel, I do not like to drink out of the tap. I'm what you would call a water snob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like to know where my water is coming from. <laughs> But there's other things too, like we're touching on like lead and arsenic and bacteria, but there's pesticides and all of these other things, glyphosate, you know, we talked about PFAS. There's a lot of things in your water that can really contribute. Like in Lake Mead, the male fish were producing eggs, right? That started to happen years ago. I remember reading articles about it. And so that was because a lot of this pesticide use and also pharma drugs and these things like they're not easy to get out. Once you get these pharma drugs and different you know, chemical compounds that are in the water, they're not always easily removed. Yeah. I, I mean, and we're seeing that with PFOS. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, reverse osmosis is one of the best technologies to remove like a lot of that stuff. Um, but it's not, it's not like cost effective at a large scale. So, I mean, if you wanted to put it in your whole house, it's going to be super expensive. You might even have to replumb your entire home. Wow. Um, so there's there's lots of issues with that. Um, I think they're looking at more technologies in terms of what to remove, but we're introducing more and more chemicals at such a fast rate that we're not really taking into consideration, like we're putting this out in the environment. How do we remove that when it gets to our water? Because eventually it's going to. I mean, you put enough of it out there, it's going to start to affect our environment. Well, it's the same thing as people flushing their prescription drugs down the toilet when they're done Mm -hmm. with them. Oh, these are gone. Instead of taking them and, and doing a prescription drug turn in or something like that, they flush them down the toilet. And all of a sudden that ends up back in our water systems because that might go through the water treatment system, but they're not pulling out those drugs out of the water before that water goes back into the water, a body that, that, that they're returning the, the treated water to. And not to go gross. 
oh, not to go gross, but people, we urinate and pee and poop and all these things out too. So whatever's in our body, it could be drugs, it could be pharma drugs, it could be, you know, I mean, whatever you're taking in, Tylenol, aspirin, these things have byproducts that come out. So that ends up in the water as well. It doesn't even have to just be flushing. It's just us. Yeah. (laughs) I would say a majority of like the pharmaceuticals and drugs that's found in water is not a result of them flushing it. It's a matter of, you know, it's going through our system and we're not doing a great job of filtering it out either. So, yeah. um, Well, our bodies are, but our water systems aren't. Because right. our bodies are like, hey, we're getting rid of this stuff. Yeah, we're getting it out, but yeah, now it's now it's in our water, and we're we're getting it back in. So, yeah, that would it's, that would have to be an expensive water treatment system to have to to pull that back out of that water again if it's coming in, because those are all chemicals that are you know diluted in that water. It's not like it's something that you can easily pull out like some of the other things, right? Well, you know, like reverse osmosis, like I said, is good at removing some of those. But like if you like in the pharmaceutical testing out there in water, it's it's super expensive. Like so like if you and I decided we wanted to test our water for pharmaceuticals, you could easily spend, I don't know, a good 10 grand and and only look for, you know, maybe a handful of, of chemicals Um and then you're, wow. you know, the different levels, you know, you got to look down to like the part per trillion range too. So yeah, it's, it's when it comes to pharmaceuticals, I think probably the best technology out there is reverse osmosis along with carbon. All right. We're running out of time, Marianne. What else have we not talked about today that you wanted to cover? Is there anything that we uh, haven't gotten to yet? Well, I mean, I know we kind of talked about PFOS, um, and one of the things that sort of is is fascinating because I just did we just did some some testing. <laughs> there you go. Yo, PFOS in the house. <laughs> PFOS the rapper. Yep. That's <laughs> my new so, rapper name. So like one of the things that is complicated about testing for PFOS is because it's everywhere. And like when I first read the instructions on how to collect a PFOS sample, like I literally went down a rabbit hole because they're like, <laughs> make sure that the ice you use is PFOS free. Well, how do I know? You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, I went and bought reverse osmosis water and pour, but then like, it's like, did my plastic ice trays also contribute PFOS? So like, I mean, there's lots of different steps. So, they also talk about like, don't wear moisturizers. Don't, you know, um, wear clothes that have been washed with fabric softener. There's like lots of little things about this. Dear so, Lord. So <laughs> when you're testing PFOS out there, we do what are called field blanks. And what that is, is it's a, it's a, a bottle of water that's lab grade should be PFOS free and you pour it like you're going to actually collect a sample and it's exposing it basically to everything that's in that environment. Very important when you're testing for PFOS because it's everywhere. It's in the air. Um, so one of the things we kind of, me and one of my buddies, I'm like, you know, how, how important is it that, you know, you don't wear moisturizer or you use these nitrile gloves to collect the samples. So we did a little test. Um, we did like five samples where we exposed it to moisturizer, bug spray, um, sunblock, Teflon tape, 
Um, I can't remember what the other one was. And we found PFOS in all those samples except for the one with Teflon tape. What? Yeah. Really? Which is, you know, at first I was like, that seems really weird because you know, that's actually yeah. Teflon tape. But then when you start to think about it, Teflon doesn't actually release it until it gets hot. Um, like when True. you're using your your, your Teflon pans. <laughs> um, nice. That's where it starts to release that. So, like, you know, you're not collecting hot water samples. I wonder now that might be my next experiment is to test using hot water. Um, yeah, because yeah. if you've got Teflon tape at your fittings at the water heater, I wonder at what temperature does that. Right. Right. There is a specific temperature. I want I I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but yeah, yeah. there is a, a, a rated number for that where, hmm. you know, at some point the Teflon starts to go, come off. But like, that's the one thing, like, you know, I caution people, especially if they're concerned and their homeowners testing for PFOS. It's not as simple as just like, I'm going to fill up this bottle and send it to the lab to, to test for. And that's where if you're doing something like that, you might want to call in a professional. No question. No question. We do it. You can call Marianne and I. We'll do it for you. Yep. There we go. Marianne Metzger, what's the be- what's the best way for people to track you down? Uh, they can reach me via email. It's mmetzger at resintech.com. Or they can certainly give me a call. Perfect. And that's resintech.com? Yep. Perfect. Thanks for coming on the show today. You have been everything Caroline's been talking about. (laughs) See? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. And you've been listening to Around Around the the House. House. Anywhere beyond the mean Life is a love song, let's be lovers We're all over the radio Take my hand, I know where to go All over the radio with you Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.